Hello and welcome to Nuclear Knowledge, the podcast of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we focus on education. And as always, NIDS wants you to remember, think deterrence. In today's Nuclear Knowledge, we're going to talk about deterrence. What is it? Well, Joint Publication 1-02 says that deterrence is the prevention of action by the existence of a credible threat of unacceptable counteraction and or belief that the cost of action outweighs the perceived benefits. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, you got to think, where does deterrence reside? Well, deterrence resides in the mind of the adversary. It's fundamentally a psychological effect that you achieve, where you get an adversary not to do or to take an undesirable action. And you do that by making sure that the adversary sees the risk involved in taking that undesirable action as outweighing the benefits. Thus, they don't take the action. So for me, Adam Lowther, I see deterrence as taking three forms, dissuasion, denial, and threat. Now, dissuasion is where through norms and other very passive means, you're able to convince a potential adversary that they don't need to do take uh, an, uh, you know, an action that you don't want. So it doesn't require a direct threat. Now, dissuasion by denial, or excuse me, deterrence by denial, is where an adversary sees that you're de- taking defensive action that would prevent them from achieving their desired outcomes, their desired objectives. And so therefore, by virtue of denying them the ability to achieve their objectives, they are deterred. And then deterrence by threat is where you specifically enumerate a threat such that an adversary says, geez, I don't want to take the risk of that threat being carried out. Therefore, I'm not going to do it. Now, when deterrence fails, and this is a point where some would disagree with me, but I would submit that when deterrence fails, you have to compel an adversary to restore uh, the status quo, and you do that through punishment or compellence. And so it, you have to you know, carry out your threat if they don't abide by your deterrent threat. You compel them. And so if we think about deterrence, deterrence or credible deterrence is capability times will times communication. So what does that mean? Well, for deterrence to be credible, you have to have capability. That means you have to have missiles. And if we think about nuclear deterrence, you have to have missiles and bombers and submarines. You have to have capability to carry out a threat. You then have to have the will to carry out the threat. So your adversary has to think that you actually will carry out that threat. And then you have to communicate it. So that's why we say credible deterrence equals capability times will times communication. And of course, our communication and all of our external activity is geared 
towards shaping the target, the mind of the adversary. Now, during the Cold War, we had something called general deterrence. And general deterrence was essentially, I've got tens of thousands of nuclear weapons. You've got tens of thousands of nuclear weapons. If we go to war, we're both eliminated. I didn't really need to know uh, your language, history, culture. I just needed you to know that I had a lot and I was willing to use them. And I knew the same thing about you. That was general deterrence. Now, as part of general deterrence, the United States extended its nuclear umbrella over Europe and parts of Asia. Thus, we had extended deterrence. Now, there's something also called minimum deterrence, which is a a term that's been bantered around over the years. And minimum deterrence is what? It's a it's a sort of a policy in which many would submit that you only need to have the minimum number of nuclear weapons to hold those things that are most valuable, capital cities, large industrial cities, things of that nature. You only need to have sufficient nuclear weapons to threaten to destroy those targets. So you don't have need to have a lot of capability with exquisite numbers of warheads or exquisite delivery vehicles. You just have to have enough to destroy major cities primarily. Then there's another kind of deterrence called tailored deterrence. And in tailored deterrence, it's important to understand language, history, culture, so that you can very specifically target the mind of your adversary. You understand what they value most. You understand their fears. You understand their tolerance for risk. You have a much better understanding of the adversary. And this has come into play recently because we have a much smaller arsenal. So in the Cold War, we had more than 20,000. At the height of the Cold War, we had more than 25,000 nuclear weapons in the for the United States. The Russians ultimately had more than 40,000. Well, today we have about 1,500, 1,600, if you include uh, the tactical weapons in Europe. So it's about 90% less, 90% fewer nuclear weapons. So the idea is that you need to more carefully target your adversary to shape their behavior. And then the final aspect or type of deterrence we have now is cross-domain deterrence. And because we have potential risks that are catastrophic that could be caused through cyberspace or through space, because we've, we're now highly dependent upon these two spheres, we therefore are talking about do we use nuclear weapons to deter a catastrophic cyber attack or a catastrophic space attack, or how do we align our domains of air, sea, land, space, and cyber such that we maintain effective deterrence. So I hope that you find this very short podcast of only about seven minutes useful in understanding deterrence. We'll look forward to talking to you next time on Nuclear Knowledge where we'll have another topic and a brief discussion for you. 